Well, are you ready this morning? Yes. I, I'm excited about this message. I'm excited about our text. So would you join me this morning and open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, we'll look at verses 12 through 20. We haven't been in Galatians this year. So we need to catch up and reconnect to the text and remember that Paul has been combating the infiltration of the Judaizers into the church at Galatia, and they were bewitching the Galatians into thinking they need to get under the law in order to continue as one saved by grace. Now, Paul said back in chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a what? A different gospel. Anything outside of being saved by grace through faith is a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert, meaning to make into its opposite, the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel named Moroni, that was just a little creative liberty there or license, if you will, preach any other gospel to you than what we preach to you, let him be what? Anathema, accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone, say anyone, anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now, remember, Paul vacated his normal pattern of epistle writing or letter writing, if you will. His normal course of action was to write a blessing over the recipients or pray a prayer over the recipients, but the fact of the matter was, correction was needed more than encouragement in the church at Galatia. And therefore he moved to the matter that was of greatest importance. Now he began by establishing his apostolic authority, which implied that the Judaizers were challenging Paul's right to say anything in the name of the Lord like the other apostles had done. He then came at the issue from every conceivable direction as he dealt with the subject of justification by faith, doctrinally, uh, first historically, and practically. And then last time he incorporated an illustration that would be culturally relevant, that would drive the point home. Last time in Galatians 4, 4 to 7, Paul said, when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when it was the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. There's the cultural illustration. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, what's it say? Abba, Abba Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, Paul says to the church at Galatia, if Christ came in order that you might be adopted and become an heir as a son or a daughter, why would you want to return to the spiritual status of being a slave under the law? Now, last time we titled our message, The Afterlife, meaning what does life look like after we've been adopted, after we've been born again and became heirs through Christ Jesus? And Paul began his description of the afterlife with the astounding statement that the great and mighty God of heaven, because of our relationship with Jesus, allows us to approach him and even call him Papa, Abba, Father, a term of familiarity that would be foreign to the Jews to understand that God was approachable in that manner would just be something that would shake them to the core. Now the lessons about life after coming to Christ we learned were these. All the power and privileges of being in God's family become ours. When we're adopted, we become a child of God. As John 1.12 says, as many as received him, he gave the right to become the sons and daughters of God. All the power and privileges of being in God's family become ours in the afterlife. We have direct access to the throne room of God. Remember, the veil was rent. We can go before the throne of God with confidence or boldly and find God to be a present help in time of need. Anybody need him right now? Oh, 
We also learn that the afterlife is ours through what was done for us, not by us. We didn't earn anything. We didn't deserve salvation. It is the free gift of God by faith to all who believe and accept Christ as Savior and Lord. Amen? Amen. Now again, Paul's argument by illustration was simple. Why choose to live like a household slave when you, through Christ, have become an heir? Now, the tone of the letter is going to shift gears a little bit in our verses today, even though the topic is going to remain the same. And Paul is going to take the Galatians back to the beginning of the relationship that they had with Paul and pose to them a question that we're all being faced with today, though for a different reason and in a different way. Paul is going to ask the church at Galatia, have I now become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And though for very different reasons, we today who know the truth are saved by the truth and set free by the truth are viewed as enemies by many in our country today and censorship and ostracization in our country are well underway because of our position regarding biblical truth. Uh, anybody else noticing that? Listen, if you don't think things are heating up, you need to check out the news from last night. There was a church in El Monte that had a bomb thrown through its window because it holds to the biblical position on human sexuality. And therefore, because they were considered a hate group, there was a group who actually is a hate group who threw a bomb or a Molotov cocktail through the window and set the church on fire. This is in El Monte, California, and it happened last night because they believe what the Bible says about male and female, and that's the end of the gender list. That's it. <laughs> now, because Paul is on the same course and we have followed Paul's journey, the path that he has taken to combat the Judaizers, we're going to do what Paul does, even though through a different lens, so to speak, and we're going to ask and answer the question to ourselves, how can we handle being treated like enemies, even though we are the ones who are actually telling the truth? Now, our title today is going to summarize our approach to our text, and our title is simply a portion of a famous verse we'll quote here in a moment. And our title today is, When Good is Called Evil. When good is called evil. Is that happening today? Yes. All around us. Now, we've all seen the famed verse of Isaiah 5 floating around in recent days. If you have any social media, you've seen it quoted multitudes of time. and it's times, and it says Isaiah in 520, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Those are metaphors for lies and truths, light obviously being truth. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, the thing we need to take note of is that this verse is actually one of seven woes that are pronounced in Isaiah chapter 5. And I will also tell you that all of those things that cause woes are happening in our country today, including Isaiah 5, 22 to 23, which says, Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. Are things being made legal that have long been illegal in our country? All over our country today? Absolutely. Listen to this who justify the wicked for a bribe or for money. Are there wicked causes and people being advanced for money today? Yes. Absolutely. And take away justice from the righteous man. Is justice being taken away from the church today? Yes. Absolutely. Listen, God said as he examined all of humanity, there is none good, no, not one. And the only way to become righteous is to be in Christ. And our righteousness is as filthy rags, but our righteousness is not our own. Our righteousness is that from Jesus. So what do we do in times such as these as bearers and proclaimers of truth that is viewed as evil today? Well, I ran across this quote. Actually, my wife did, and C.H. Uh, Spurgeon will come up a couple of times today. And I love how he didn't mince words. And he said this, listen today, bold-hearted men are always called mean-spirited by cowards. Bold-hearted men are always called mean-spirited by cowards. We have been told we need to be deprogrammed. Listen, I've already had a renewed mind. 
I've already been deprogrammed and reprogrammed. And through Christ, I have the mind of Christ. Amen? There are millions of Americans today who view the church as the enemy of a more tolerant and thus loving world. Love, by their definition, is the acceptance of anything anybody thinks or wants to do or believe. All because we believe that the Bible and what it says about moral and spiritual things is the truth. And we are therefore viewed as mean-spirited and evil because we do believe the Bible is true. Now, Paul wasn't facing these same accusations for the same reasons, but he was viewed as an enemy by some in Galatia, in the church, all because he told them the truth about the message of the Judaizers and Christians putting themselves back under the law. So let's learn how to handle when good is called evil, and therefore we are implied as being evil too. Are you ready? Yes. Stand and read with me this morning our opening section from Galatians 4, verses 12 to 15 specifically. Galatians chapter 4, 12 through 15. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first, and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear witness, you witnessed that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And Lord, we are grateful for this text this morning. And we pray, God, that we would have clarity and ears to hear what your spirit is saying to tell us how we are to handle all the things that are coming upon us by using Paul's words inspired by your spirit as our example. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Paul, again, begins this section by taking the Galatians back to what their relationship used to look like. He begins with saying, I urge you to become like me. Now, Paul isn't being braggadocious. Paul is simply saying, I urge you to become like me in the sense that I am not under the law. As he says, I became like you. And you, therefore, need to remember and stay that particular course that as Gentile Christians or Jewish Christians, we are not under the law. We are saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. He then makes a very important point that we need to practice ourselves. He said, you haven't injured me at all. Now, that obviously doesn't mean there was a physical injury because there was no physical altercation, but rather the engagement is in the doctrinal and therefore spiritual sense. And what Paul is saying is that your rejection of me has not damaged my faith at all. Now, we need to remember from Luke 6.26, the words of Jesus, when he said, what's the first word? Woe to who? To you. Woe to you. When all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Now, I have seen multitudes of comments on social media, received multitudes of emails from people who said the election results have caused them despair and great discouragement. And people have gone as far to say, I don't even know if the Bible is true anymore. Well, listen, I got news for you. Donald Trump was not in the Bible. <laughs> Amen. So I don't know how you can be disappointed in the Bible for something that's not even biblical. And listen here, we, I know, should be discouraged about the direction of our country. It's discouraging, right? We don't like seeing what's going on in our country and in our world, but we should not allow anything that is happening today in America or anywhere else to injure our faith at all. Because we are trusting in God, not a democratic Republican system. That is not, and by Republican, I don't mean a political party. That's what our country actually is. We're not a democracy. That just means majority rules. But a democratic republic means that each state has equal representation in an election process. That's why we have an electoral college. I better shut up and get back to the message here, or I'm going to keep going. Now listen, people are not always going to speak well of us. They're not always going to think highly 
of us. And listen, if we find ourselves in agreement with the world and well thought of by them, that's not a good sign. Amen. Jesus said, woe to those who are spoken well of by the world. And therefore, it's more likely that we're being impacted and influenced by false teaching and therefore facing impending woes, as the Lord himself said. Now, Paul here reaches back to when he first went to Galatia and mentions that he was there because he was sick. He had a physical infirmity of some kind, and that caused him a prolonged stay in Galatia. Now, many Bible uh, scholars believe that Paul was stricken with something known as ophthalmia. And it's uh, basically an infection in the eyes that causes a heavy and nasty discharge to come from the eyes, which is obviously not be very appealing to a public audience. And therefore, the mention that they would have plucked out their eyes and given them to Paul seems to make that a very strong possibility. Now, Paul says they didn't despise him or reject him because of his trial in the flesh. Now, this would be the normal course of both Jews and pagan believers because Jews and pagans believe that infirmities were a sign of either being displeasing to the gods that you worship or for the Jews to Jehovah God himself. Now, as Paul points back to how things began for them, I can't help but think about how things began in our country and how our great nation was founded and how there was a love and a respect for God and his word. And his word was the foundation for our laws and also the cause of all the blessings we have experienced as a nation. Is that not where we began? Yes. And we are moving rapidly away from that. Yes. Listen, let me take you back to June 28, 1787. I wasn't there. I read this. <laughs> It's actually a statement by Benjamin Franklin at the Constitutional Convention that lasted some four months, including June 28, 1787. As things began to progress, as our Constitution was being formed and framed, Benjamin Franklin, one of the two most, uh, one of the two least religious men of our founding fathers, according to historians, Thomas Jefferson being the other, I'll quote him later. Listen to what Franklin said. June 28, 1787, Constitutional Convention. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers employing the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. This is our founding fathers speaking and enlisting the help of God through prayer as our constitution was being framed and written. Now let's fast forward in time to January 6, 2021. The first session of the new Congress that was uh, just elected back on uh, November or in November and Democratic Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, a United Methodist minister, the former mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, ended the opening prayer on the first day of the new Congress by saying, Amen and a woman, in order to conclude his prayer. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. He was surprised by the negative response. <laughs> And he told the Kansas City Star, a local paper, that his A-woman reference on Sunday was intended to recognize a record number of women serving in the new Congress. Listen, amen is a Hebrew word. It means so be it. It's got nothing to do with gender. So listen, pastor. What are you doing not even knowing something as simple as that? Listen. Things had changed in Galatia, and they've changed here in our country, and not for the better. Amen. We would do well to do what Paul does here as he recounts how things began, and he calls the Galatians back to it, become like me. Get back to where we started. Get out from under the law. Now listen, we've said this a multitude of ways and a multitude of times over the years, but it has to be repeated this morning for this message. Here's the first of our three considerations. Here's the first thing to remember when good is called evil. Our message is not defined by cultural acceptance. Our message is not defined by cultural acceptance. 
And the Galatians' initial response to Paul, in spite of his visible infirmity, was to receive him like a messenger from heaven, an angelos, translated as angel in our text. Paul went as far to say, listen, when I first came to you in the midst of my infirmity, you didn't reject me, which was the cultural norm, but you not only accepted me as though I was an angel from heaven, you treated me as though I was Jesus himself. And then he urges him to get back to that. Please note that Paul didn't say, well, apparently you weren't too happy with my message about the Judaizers, so I've got a different message for you now. Something more acceptable to you in Galatia, which seems to be a practice of many today. A man and a woman. Give me a break. <laughs> now, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 25, a great reminder for us that the message of the cross is what? Foolishness to who? Those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Is God smarter than everybody else? Yep. And bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater? It's translated as disputer, but it's talking about those who argue their case. The disputer of this age has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world by comparing it to him. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, what? Foolishness. Foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God, which he has done, by the way, Paul is being sarcastic, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, and God has no weaknesses either. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? The Jews stumbled over the fact that the Messiah was going to die a criminal's death and even become a curse for us by hanging on a tree, which is recorded in the law. The Greeks thought the whole message about a man coming into the world to die for the sins of others and, uh, as God in human form was just a foolish message. But Paul said, it's the truth and it's the power of God to us who are being saved. Now back to Spurgeon for a moment another quote that he had said over the years and it was simply this I fear that some men would sooner be damned than be laughed at do we have people like that today they'd rather change the message than to be scorned or attacked or uh, looked down upon in our world today and listen when good is called evil and evil good we preach Christ and him crucified period even when we're mocked even when we're scorned and laughed at, listen, a, because a culturally acceptable message is unacceptable to God because it has no power to save. Now, we're not here to preach a message that people will find culturally acceptable. We're here to preach a message that is able to save their souls. Some will stumble over it. Others are going to think it's foolish, but under no circumstance circumstances or during any season of history do we change it our message is not defined by cultural acceptance and Paul pointed the Galatians back to the truth and we need to do the same in our nation as it is defecting from the truth rapidly more and more each day amen, amen. now let's look at 16 to 18 <clears throat> Paul then poses the question have I therefore because become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They, the Judaizers, zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always and not only when I am present with you. And Paul moves from the past to the present reality in that the Judaizers had convinced some of the Galatian church that Paul was actually their enemy. Not only was he their enemy, he was an enemy of the gospel. And therefore, he asked rhetorically, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? Do some people believe that we're their enemy today because we hold the biblical truths? Absolutely. He then mentions something that's long been a practice of the cults where he says, they zealously court you. In other words, they're pursuing you. They're saying things you want to hear. They're 
uh, tantalizing you with their promises. And this practice continues to this day. As a matter of fact, it has a label associated with it. It's called love bombing. And this is what the cults do. Potential candidates for a cult or aberrant group are lavished with praise and promises are presented to them in an offer you can't refuse type of fashion. What does that look like? These promises of power and prosperity or anything that satisfies the flesh is wrapped in a thin layer of truth. And it sounds like this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Is that true? That's absolutely true. His plan is to give you perfect health and unimaginable wealth because he loves you so much. Is that true? Absolutely not. This is untruthful love bombing. Presenting something that you want to hear that is appealing to the flesh. And Paul also says the truth is they want to exclude you. The word exclude means to shut you out. And the hope is to make them zealous for false teaching, which shuts them out from the truth. And Peter said in 2 Peter 2, 1 to 3, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Do we have them today? You know, there was uh, just a, a slew of prophets. I don't do that often, so pay attention. <laughs> prophets. Who said that the Lord had revealed to them that Donald Trump was going to be president for another four years. Well, one of these, here it is, prophets came out and said, you know, I'm just really learning how to use my gift and to <laughs> operate in my gift. You know, how about, you know what, I lied, I repent. I didn't hear that from God. That was my own imagination, and I was wrong. Please have mercy on my soul and forgive me this great sin. No, I'm just learning how to walk in my gift. Goodness sakes. I don't even know why I threw that in there, but I did. <laughs> it's because of what Peter said. There's going to be false teachers in the midst of the church. And Peter says, covetousness or desiring things that you don't have but want opens the door of the heart and mind to deceptive words. Saying what people want to hear appeals to the flesh. People today want to have their best life now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Listen, our best life isn't now. If this is our best life, <laughs> that's kind of a bummer, right? Yeah. We've got a better life that's coming and it lasts forever. And of course, people would like to hear promises of health and wealth. And these things open the door of the heart and mind to destructive heresies. Paul says in verse 18, listen, being zealous for a good thing is a good thing. But don't just be zealous for a good thing when I'm around. You need to always be, or always be pursuing good things and being zealous for them. And in Philippians 3, 17 to 21, Paul said to the church in Philippi, Brethren, join in following my examples, just like he told the church in Galatia, be like me. And note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is what? Destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the savior who by the way is the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself now listen this morning we didn't need to read verse 21 for our time but i thought you might like to remember that you have a glorious body awaiting you amen, amen. amen. me too now, Paul says to the Philippians what he said to the Corinthians. He said to the Corinthians what he said to Galatians. And what he said to the, uh, the Galatians, Peter said in his second letter, and that is that there are enemies of the truth and therefore the cross that are present in every city and during every age of church history. And they all seek to gain a following by promising things that are not true or simply denying what is and calling good evil and evil good. Now, 
Here's something we need to remember. Are you ready? Yes. Listen, here's our second point. Anything, say anything. Anything. anything that conflicts with or contradicts biblical truth is a lie. Anything that conflicts with or contradicts biblical truth is a lie. Tony Perkins from the Family Research Council issued the following statement. This past week, he wrote, President Biden's executive order effectively targets people of faith and faith-based organizations that provide social services that are even more vital in the midst of a pandemic. Now, those who hold the biological reality that there's just two genders and the doctrines of the world's major religions will be forced to violate their consciences or even lose a government contract. Ultimately, if this executive order is able to be fully carried out, it will affect everyday Americans who hold biblical and conservative values. In his inaugura inauguration speech yesterday, President Biden called for unity, but now he's demanding uniformity. With a stroke of a pen, President Joe Biden has turned a 50-year-old civil rights legislation on its head, hollowing out protections for people of faith. President Biden is unilaterally enacting a sweeping policy change that has routinely failed to win the approval of Congress, the body, the Constitution tasks with actually passing laws. Sadly, the Biden administration is planning to go much further on its assault on biological reality and is expected to order schools, listen close, to abolish girls' sports and force boys and girls to use the same showers and locker rooms and maybe even bunk together on school trips. The party that claims to be the party of science is advancing policies on day one that deny reality. What he's referring to is a campaign promise of Joe Biden that he was going to incorporate into the 1964 Civil Rights Act sexual preference. And the same things that were written into the Civil Rights Act are now going to apply to the LGBTQ community, which includes access, just as we had the horrific reality in our country of having segregated washrooms and bathrooms and locker areas and all the other things that our country has rightfully banished forever, thank the Lord. But those same civil rights laws now apply to people who have a sexual preference that is outside the biblical definitions of male and female and sexual relations only between husband and wife. And that means this, just like someone who would be a person of color in the 60s would come into the restroom, according to the Civil Rights Act, they had to made, be made to feel like they had every right to be there and to be treated with a welcoming, welcoming spirit by those inside. So what's that mean? That means, listen, when a biological male goes into the women's restroom now, by law, you women have to make them feel like they have every right to be there. And you do that like this. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. Men, you need to stand outside the bathroom door and protect your wives, amen? What's the truth? Genesis 1.27. So God created man is in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female and... Is that the whole list? Male and female, he created them. Listen, if you are biologically a male and wish or think you're a female, you need help. Right? I mean, it's like saying, you know, I, I'm 5'8", I'm but all my clothes I buy are for a seven-footer. <laughs> because I believe that I'm seven-foot. Believing you're seven-foot, does that make you seven-foot? Nope. No, being seven-foot makes you seven-foot. Being genetically a male makes you a male. male, not a female. And I find it sadly comical that the group that frequently accuses the church of being anti-science not only ignore genetics, not only ignore biology, they also ignore the manufacturer's product description. Male and 
female. Now listen, when it comes to moral and spiritual truth, there are not things that used to be true that aren't anymore. Truth doesn't change. Amen? Amen? There are still two genders today. And anything outside of that or anything else that contradicts or conflicts with the Bible is a lie. And in John 8, 43 to 47, Jesus said to his favored uh, group of people on the earth, the Pharisees, who he loved to call, what was his pet name for them? Hypocrites. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Now, Jesus, being culturally sensitive and wanting to be politically correct, said, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are what? Not, not of God. Then John the Beloved would write in his first letter in the second chapter in 221, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie, say no lie. No lie, no lie is of the truth. Listen. We need to get away from the idea as American Christians or Christians, period, around the world that we are simply facing geopolitical differences in our nation. We need to get back to the reality that there's two camps. There's liars and there's truth tellers. And that's the end of the list. Listen, allowing biological males into women's sports, locker rooms and showers is not being sensitive to a minority group. It is violating the rights of every biological female on the planet and denying the fact that God said he created mankind in two genders, male and female. There are lies and there is the truth. All lies are from the devil and conflict with and contradict biblical truths. Good is called evil. Evil is called good and woes will be the end result. Now, again, Paul's issue wasn't what we're dealing with today, but the source of it was the same. Satan was spreading lies in the church just as he is doing today. Amen? Amen. Now, let's wrap up with 19 and 20 before I get excited. <laughs> My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone. For I have doubts about you. Now, we need to pause here and recognize that in the midst of Paul's most aggressive letter, where he forsook his usual pattern that we have mentioned several times and went straight to correction and gave no encouragement, that this is the only place in any of the Pauline epistles where we find a very Johannine-type phrase. John, the beloved, used, uh, loved to call his letters recipients, my little children. And this is the only place that Paul uses that phrase. And he likens his efforts in Galatia to that of a woman laboring in birth pangs. And what he sought to be born in them was Christ-likeness. And he again, in our final verse, repeats a phrase or a, a concern he expressed in verse 11, where he said, I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. Now, Paul's statement of verse 11 is one of astonishment. And when we studied verse 11, we recognize the fact that we've all known someone at some point in time who has done something that is so obviously ridiculous or dare we say stupid that we just can't believe they did it, right? We've all seen that. We've probably even been that person more than once in our own lives. Somebody say amen to that and don't leave me hanging. This is where Paul's at. He's saying, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe after being adopted by God through Christ, made sons and daughters, joint heirs with Christ, that you're choosing to become slaves to the law once again, which has no capacity or element within it to save the human soul. He was perplexed about the Galatians because he knew their spiritual development was being hindered and the lies of the Judaizers could only have negative consequences because no lie is of the truth, as Jesus said. 
Yet he expressed his desire to be with them. He said, I wish I could be present with you so I could change my tone. So we could talk like family. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to misread a text? There's no emotion in a text. There's no inflection of voice or tone quality or any of those things. They're very dry, very clinical. And this is what Paul is saying there. He's not talking about text. He's talking about his text, what he wrote. He said, I, I wish I could be conversing with you face to face so that my tone could express the actual love that I have for you. Now, remember, this is the same letter where Paul twice called the recipients foolish. And yet we can see the apostle's heart for them, even though his approach has been strong and the most aggressive of any of his letters. Now, this is what we need to remember in a time where good is called evil. Here's our third and concluding point. Listen this morning. There is nothing more Christ-like than loving the lost. There is nothing more Christ-like than loving the lost. Did Paul love them? Yes. Did he hold back from them? No. He spoke the truth, but he spoke it with a heart filled with love. Now, in the midst of all Paul's frustration and his aggravation at the foolishness of following the Judaizers, Paul still has the heart of a loving parent, even in his bewilderment about their decisions and coinciding actions. There's bewildering things happening in our country today. Amen. Things that people ought to know better that they're proclaiming as facts and saying, you know, it's scientific and this is a reality and we need to recognize this and any who don't are adversaries of the greater good. And listen, in 1 Corinthians 2, 13 to 16, Paul said to the church there, these things we also speak not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Foolishness, Foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have what? The mind of Christ. Listen. You still here? Yes. Listen. Sinners sin because they're sinners. How's that for a dandy on a Sunday morning? <laughs> Listen, I've got another one. Non-Christians act like non-Christians because they're non-Christians. Right? They need Jesus to transform their thinking. To believe truth over foolish lies. Now listen this morning. We're going to rattle some cages here. Are you ready? America doesn't need more Republicans. America needs more Christians. You know why? So people don't go to hell. That's why. In Matthew 5, 43 to 48, <clears throat> you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus speaking, obviously, Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you, and what? Persecute, Persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. This is the common grace of God he's describing. For if you love those who love you, what reward of you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Tax collectors have always been a popular group. <laughs> and if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be... Perfect, meaning mature or complete, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Listen, we all hate what's happening in our country. Oh, yeah. Right? We all hate what's happening in our country. But shouldn't we hate that millions of our neighbors are going to hell without Christ more? Yes. Shouldn't that trouble us more? Shouldn't that create 
of focus and actions in our hearts and minds more than anything else? Wouldn't that make it our primary concern that these perishing souls who are headed towards hell without Christ be rescued because they are drawn towards death? And our responsibility, Proverbs 24, 11 and 12, is to hold them back from the slaughter? Wouldn't that then requiring sharing the gospel even though it's increasingly culturally unacceptable and viewed as evil when it's actually the good news? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay, I just... I, I knew you were going to say that. I just wanted to wait. I saw a billboard one time I thought was very appropriate for our time today. It said, that love your neighbor thing I meant that. Signed, God. Now, Paul was aggravated. He was frustrated. He called the Galatians foolish twice. But he did so because he loved them and was afraid for them. Now back to where we began in Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woes are coming to those who call good evil and evil good and call things that are going to be bitter in the end sweet and vice versa. And listen, tune in. Now is not the time to say they had it coming. Now's the time to say, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without, insert your name? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? Have we been sent to the world to preach the gospel? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, the word of God. Listen, there's nothing more Christ-like than loving the lost. Jesus did. He even prayed for those who put him on the cross while hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Listen. In the midst of our aggravation, and we ought to be aggravated. In the midst of our frustration, and we are all frustrated. As we watch utter foolishness unfold in front of us, let's remember hell awaits any person who dies without Jesus Christ. And that's the most important thing in our hearts and minds. Amen? Amen. This fact alone should cause all of us to have the mind of Christ paired with the heart of Paul. They can't hear the truth if we don't speak it, and we are called to speak it in love. Not all will obey the gospel of God. Some will think we're fools. Others will stumble over the content of the message. But some will hear the word of God and be saved. You know, the thing that I've always found to be interesting in what's actually the parable of the soils that Jesus shared was that there were different four different types of soils that he named specifically but there was only one kind of seed he didn't have a different seed for thorny ground he didn't have a different seed for stony ground there was just one kind of seed and the recipient could react to the seed that was sown life could choke it out some could simply reject it the sun could scorch when trials came uh, any initial hope away, but then some of the seed, the same seed that fell on three other soils is going to fall on good ground and fruit is going to be born. So listen, we're called to sow seeds. That's it. Scatter seeds. To who? People that hate us. People that think we're fools. People who are enemies of the cross. Because the truth is we would do well to remember Colossians 1.21 that once we were alienated from God and were enemies in our minds by wicked works, but he has now reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present us holy in his sight, free from accusation and without blemish. 
We were enemies of God, and he's long been in the business of turning his enemies into his followers. So listen, we're in a tough season, right? The Lord said, hey, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah, where the righteous are relatively few in comparison to the whole of world population. That's how it's going to be, Jesus said, when it's time for me to come back. I believe we're there. I believe the church, the true church, the Bible-believing church is a fragment of what is called the church today. And there is a remnant, just like in Elijah's day. And listen, we can't have that mindset, you know what, Calvary Chapel's it. <laughs> Everybody else is going to hell. No, that's not how we are to think. Because the Lord has thousands of others who don't go to Calvary Chapels who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and because of that, they are saved. Amen. So listen, there's a lot more of us, and we don't want it that us for no more mentality, right? We recognize that there are other people who fly under other banners, so to speak, within the church who actually are born-again believing Christians, but we also recognize the vast majority don't believe the Bible, and they don't teach it. And therefore, we need to do for them what Paul did for the Galatians. said, listen, you've turned to another gospel, but there's not really another. So you've turned to something that has become the opposite of what it's intended to do, and you need to turn around, like Paul said, become like me. Not that he was anything great, but Paul was simply saying, I got out from under the law, and I'm living a life saved by grace through faith, and you need to do that too. Right. Amen? Amen? We are never more Christ-like and when we are loving the law, somebody say, Amen. Amen. Father, we are once again grateful that we are live in such a time as this. And we recognize that as you spoke through Paul by inspiration of your spirit in 2 Timothy 3, you said perilous times will come. The character and nature flaws, uh, character flaws and the nature of man is going to be constantly evil, continually as it was in the days of Noah. He even said they'd be haters of God, having their own form of godliness, but denying the power of it, denying the gospel. But Lord, we also recognize that you came in just such a time where your word had been infiltrated by those who inserted things that were neither necessary or true. And yet you came in that kind of season of history to introduce truth that some may be saved. And Lord, we live in such a time where your word indicates you're coming again. So help us, God, I pray, to counteract our fleshly desires and our emotions and frustration and aggravation and stay the course and to make sure we're telling people about Jesus and that only through him can they be saved even though some won't like it, even though some will hate us for the exclusivity of it, and say all manner evil of evil against us falsely for your name's sake. Help us to take to heart the things that Spurgeon said and just be bold, even though we're called mean-spirited white cowards. Help us in these things, we pray, for it is completely contrary to our flesh. So help us instead to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of our flesh, which wants to be comfortable and accepted and welcomed by all. But help us to remember we will be hated by all for your name's sake. But help us to do as you did. Keep loving them right up to the end when you come to take us home. We bless your holy name. And we pray these things through the name above all others, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.